0: All right. Well, thank you, Araceli. Uh, So as you mentioned, today, uh, or as everyone looked at the sort of the topic when they uh, registered, today we're looking at sort of uh, how we can leverage Amplicon sequencing variants in the genomics workbench. Uh, Just to give give everyone an idea of the agenda, and and hopefully we can get some feedback from everyone afterwards, because I'm doing it a little bit backwards from what we tend to do Uh, which is a lot of times give you like a a very high-level overview of our genomics workbench, which is the tool we're going to use, Um, and sort of tools that we didn't cover through sort of the the actual application of uh, processing uh, ASVs. Um, And so then, uh, you know, we'll go from the actual, you know, what is an amplicon sequencing variant or ASVs? Um, I'm going to talk mainly about the difference between it and sort of OTU, clustering because they're a little bit similar and I think more people might be uh, uh, familiar with OTU clustering. Uh, Again, I like to sort of define what things are uh, prior to getting into the analysis and then we'll discuss uh, sort of show you a little bit about the data that we're going to be utilizing today and then we're going to go into the application uh, which is again the genomics workbench show you how you can uh, in this case understand how different chemicals affect the microbial community Of different types of soil. Um, And in order to do that, there's several things that we're going to need to do. Uh, First and foremost, there's a plugin that we need to install. And so uh, I want to at least make sure everyone's familiar with and understands how to do that. Uh, Whenever we're talking about, you know, things like OTU clustering or a lot of the microbial genomics module tools, we oftentimes have to download databases, reference files, things along those lines, And so I want to show how easy it is to sort of obtain those files specifically for uh, the ASV analysis. Um, And then, of course, if we're processing our own data, I think it's important to understand how we can import reads. And so I have a a subset of reads that we can uh, import into the application. Along with that, the today's data, as we'll see when I start going over what today's data is, I actually downloaded it directly within the application from SRA. So it's a publicly available data set. So I think for that importing reads, uh, I want to kind of showcase both sort of bringing in your own FASTQ files, and of course, you know, searching for things within SRA. And then when we have our reads and what we want to look at today is, you know, how does you know different soil or, uh, you know, different chemicals, uh, how do they affect sort of the soil microbial community? Um, and so, we, we want to bring in information associated with, with our samples called metadata. It'll allow me to understand well: is that you know a swamp sample? Is that a desert sample? Uh, is that our, you know treated with you know uh, PFOAs? Is that treated with uh, PFOSs? And so, again, kind of going back to those forever chemicals, we'll be kind of looking at sort of how those impact the microbial community and. Again, I kind of point that out as we get into the data. Uh, once we bring in that metadata, we'll also create an adapter list because that's part of the workflow that we're going to be looking at, uh, re- removing adapter sequences. And then uh, we'll look at and understand the workflow within the genomics workbench. So I'll open up the, what the workflow is. We'll break it down step by step, understand what uh, what's going on. In addition, at that time, I'll show how you can obviously modify that workflow if you want to uh, for some specific... Use case within your data or something along those lines. We'll talk about executing the workflow in the application, Um, and then once we've you know run the workflow, you know what do some of the results look like? What information can I get? What you know what pictures, graphics, etc. And then you know since we're talking about one really kind of focused topic within the genomics workbench, I want to and within the sort of the microbial genomics module, I want to give you guys an understanding of some of the other use cases. Uh, and I kind of saw from everyone, you know, the pre-meeting poll, you know, someone's doing whole shotgun on metagenomics, um, you know, uh, typing, MLST typing, things along those lines. And so um, I want to point out other research areas that we can utilize this application for. And then even beyond that scope of sort of microbial or m- metagenomics you know, just a brief introduction of the genomics workbench as a whole, uh, so you can understand, you know, what else it may encompass besides that, you know, really metagenomics type of, uh, um, breadth and also, of course, sort of how, how can we deal with large volume samples, um, as like, sort of your lab either grows or, you know, your research project expands. So that's today's agenda. Uh, hopefully that looks good for everybody. And, uh, again, uh, we oftentimes go a little bit backwards uh, or you know, start with an introduction to the genomics workbench and then talk about the microbial genomics module and then go specifically into like sort of a use case. Um, and so today I'm switching that up. And so if you guys could give feedback, that would be super. Uh, we do have a, a poll at the end as well. Uh, not a poll, but a place to do that, a survey uh, at the end. You can uh, give that information. All right. So I think first and foremost, um, I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with what amplicon sequencing variants are, or ASDs. Um, And really, they're a way of examining the diversity um, of a microbial community by sequencing specific regions like the 16S, uh, for like uh, 16S RNA for like bacteria, archaea types of um, species or ITS regions for fungal studies. Um, Of course, there's a lot of use cases here. I mean, we can see soil samples, which is what we're gonna be looking at today. Um, But there are, of course, use cases for this within like water uh, samples, human microbial samples. Um, And so really, again, just because I'm specifically talking about soil samples, you know, there are, of course, places this can be applied, you know, elsewhere as well. Um, And when we talk about amplicon sequencing variants, one thing it does is that it improves the resolution and accuracy of microbial community characterization by addressing the following key points. And really, you know... It improves, well, it kind of is, well, how does it improve, what does it improve it from? Um, and the next topic that we're going to be looking at is really, uh, you know, what's the difference between uh, ASVs and OTU clustering? Again, I think that's sort of something more people are familiar with. And really, this is uh, an improvement to that OTU clustering. And so that's what we're looking at. And first and foremost, we see, you know, uh, error corrections in, in uh, Amplicon sequencing variant pipelines. You know, employ stringent quality control, uh, error, error correction technique to remove sequencing errors, chimeric sequences within the data, uh, other types of artifact. So it, it really is ensuring that the results are uh, within the ASVs or the sequencing represented uh, for each amplicon is a, a true biological sequence. It's at the single nucleotide resolution. And so when we look at what I mean by that really is that um, within the amplicon sequencing variants, we're looking at single nucleotide uh, level differences. Um, this really allows for capturing more of the subtle genetic variations between closely related organisms or strains. Um, it is a little bit more on the uniqueness factor as well, which, you know, really it, each uh Amplicon sequencing variant is treated as a distinct entity, reducing the risk for like lumping together similar but distinct taxa, which can happen when using you know traditional OTU clustering methods, uh, which is based on a predefined sequence similarity threshold. And again, I'll get in that in sort of a little bit more detail in the next slide and what uh and then lastly, we you know it has high sensitivity because uh amplicon sequencing variants um Uh, are sensitive to detecting rare and low-abundant microorganisms, uh, enabling a more comprehensive assessment of the microbial diversity within a sample. And, you know, we've seen it become a little bit more popular within the microbial research uh, because it does offer a more precise uh, and biologically meaningful way of analyzing and interpreting microbial community data. Um, You can still use AVS to study the composition, diversity, and ecological uh, dynamics of microbial communities uh, with greater accuracy, ultimately providing valuable insight into the various fields, including ecology, health, and environmental science. So as I said, you know what we're looking at here with uh, amplicon sequencing variants is really at the individual uh, mutation level within each of these sequences. Uh, and as I mentioned, I uh, really want to kind of compare it to, you know, OTU clustering as, again, that's sort of a little bit more what people are familiar with, um, and the major differences between amplicon sequencing variants and OTU clustering uh, are, you know, really five different sort of po- bullet points I want to kind of point out: resolution and definition. If we uh, amplicon sequencing variants uh, are defined at a higher resolution than OTUs, um, each one represents like a unique uh, sequence, and uh, they represent unique or error corrected sequencing sequences. Of specific 16S um, RNA or other gene markers, which correspond to an individual microbial strain or organism. Whereas like OTU clusters are sequences that are defined based on a predefined sequence similarity, like something like 97%. So everything, you know, lumped together needs to at least be 97% similar. Um, And this means that may include sequences from different species or strains that are similar, but not necessarily identical. And sort of this kind of, you know, picture gives you a sense of that where, you know, you have uh, your sample sequences where, you know, here you have, you know, a defined red dot, green dot, here a blue and a, a gray as well. When you do this amplicon sequencing, you're going to have a variety of sort of bullets uh, or points around both of those sort of green, red, uh, blue, and gray dots. And when we're saying that we're just matching a predefined list of sequences at a certain frequency uh, or 97% similarity, that you know it could effectively encompass all of you know those dots, both green and red, within sort of one uh, OTU, and so that's going to you know really limit my ability to you know understand individual um, uh, individual s- species or, or strains within my data. Um, again, that's sort of in that clustering because within the ASVs, it's using error correction and high quality sequencing um, and processes uh, processing to different closely related sequences. And this re- reduces the impact of like sequencing error on the overall data. Um, so when we talk about like ASV sequencing, again, we're going to end up with that same type of um, amplicons where we're going to see, you know, everything around the red and green dot, and again, the the blue and the gray. Um, But when we start looking at this within, you know, the, you know, looking at error corrected sequences um, and those mutation profiles, how they align to the given database, um, we're able to sort of actually determine that there's four distinct sort of ASVs or amplicon sequencing variants. And so each of those are really a sequence that's unique. And so we're able to recover a lot more of the information. It's also a bit more reproducible um, since it's, you know, the ASVs are really using error corrected uh, sequences. So we're uh, able to sort of reduce the noise within the data sets. And so that makes it a bit more uh, reproducible from laboratory to laboratory, um, where OTU clustering, you know, can be a little less reproducible because again you're matching based on a certain similarity threshold um and so clustering methods can you know vary between those studies leading to difference in results um and then biological interpretation um you know amplicon sequencing variants provide a a, obviously a more precise view of the microbial community composition allowing for better discrimination of closely related taxa this can be beneficial for studying microbial diversity and ecological interactions, um, where of course the OTU uh, uh, clustering provides uh, a broader taxonomic uh, view, but may lump together you know, closely related um, species, making it a challenge to distinguish between them. Um, and of course, you know, obviously we're talking about one being sort of better than the other or giving us an advantage, obviously the uh, amplicon sequencing variants, but everything or usually comes at a cost. So generally speaking, a lot of the ASB pipelines um, often often require more computational resources. Um, We do have some methods in our tool to kind of reduce a little bit of that. Um, But again, you know, there is sort of that burden of computational resource because we're matching to larger databases than things like, you know, Unite or Green Genes, say that we would for, you know, uh, generally like OTU clustering. Um, but again you know with that less computational burden you are also getting you know a lot less resolution um, so with any benefit there is some level of cost that's going to be associated with it uh today's data um, is actually something that I found within SRA I wasn't able to find a paper associated with it um, you can see the data was published on you know the 7th of april this year um there's 106 samples that were in here um and they're really looking at high how high concentrations of um you know pfas uh uh, for enrichment of anaerobic um so basically they're looking at how pfas uh within different substrates have an impact on the microbial uh, composition um and so what i was able to do is again i downloaded actually 60 of these samples um, and uh, which I try to download uh, the controls for each soil type, which was uh, desert, uh, forest, swamp, uh, and riparian uh, soil. And they were each uh, sort of uh, underwent different um, conditions where they were treated with either PFO, PFOS, or PFOA. Um, Again, we can see those are uh, sort of um persisting chemicals uh within the environment and so there's nothing that sort of breaks it down uh also looking at maybe methods that we can employ different microbials to um you know benefit that again there there's 106 samples they had different um uh, other different sort of treatments that they looked at and additional time points but i didn't see a paper yet so i didn't want to re- go through all of their data and, and things along those lines so i did just take a couple uh data points um and you know, look at, you know, what we can understand. Um, Again, I did sort of why the PFOA and, you know, and, you know, PFOS, uh, just to give you an understanding of what, why would people be looking at, you know, how those chemicals impact the microbial community. Um, And the really, the biggest thing here is that they persist in the environment, right? Which means that they don't break down. Now do we know all of the impact of of them at you know to date I don't believe they do uh, again there was more information at the Minnesota Health Department uh, uh website um but again you know biggest thing is you know they they persist within the soil uh that means they go right up through the uh, um the food chain and they can have impacts on you know uh, all sorts of different animals throughout the uh, that food chain uh, things like uh PCBs would be also um in that same uh, boat as well. And the data, um, just to give you even a little bit more detail, uh, again, I think the biggest takeaway here is that they're using the Kiagen DNA Easy Power Soil uh, Pro Kit. Um, and then, you know, they sequence this on the Illumina MySeq uh, sequencer. <clears throat> this data, you know, came from uh, the Arizona uh, State university core facility, um, and then the primers that they used with the 515 forward, 806 reverse, um, for the 16S RNA v4 hypervariable gene region, um, for the bacteria in archaea, um, and then, you know, they did, in their case, they utilized, you know, uh, open source tools like Chime and Data2 for doing the data processing. Um, again, I wasn't able to find uh, a place where this was Uh, like where there was a paper published uh, talking about any of the results. So uh, again, I did choose to sort of, um, you know, uh, only uh, a brief amount of the the data points uh, to go through today. So that's my introduction to understanding what Amplicon sequencing variants are. Again, the main difference between uh, ASVs and OTU clustering. And again, I, I think it's just because they're most comparable Um, And then again, just an understanding of what we're looking at today. Uh, Again, we're trying to understand uh, what's going on within four different sample types with two different sort of treatments, if you will. Um, And our goal is to understand, well, what's in the microbial community? What is the microbial community uh, replicates where we can see things like, you know, in the AZ, which would have been uh, the desert, uh, you know, soil. You know, what is the microbial composition when treated with PFOAs or PFOSs? And, you know, how similar or different are they? Along with, you know, a control um, sample um, where we can get an understanding of what's going on across these samples. uh, What is, you know, the microbial community? um, How similar are those samples? You know, utilizing something like a a PCOA plot, um, understanding, you know, are there, you know, samples that are you know very similar to one another uh with regards to the their overall composition. And then of course, you know, are there like common, are there microbes that are common across all the samples? Um, and so again, maybe things like heat maps to be able to explore that type of information. Um, and so those are really you know what we generally want to know about these this type of data uh, when exploring sort of microbial communities uh, uh, you know, using amplicon sequencing variants. So now now that we know what we want to get out of today, um, it's important to understand how we can do that, right? Um, And so in order to analyze those Amplicon sequencing variants within the workbench, we need to install a plugin. And so before we get into uh, installing the plugin, uh, I'm gonna jump into my application. Um, And so give you a very brief introduction to what the workbench looks like, Um, And then we will get into, you know, how we download those plugins and modify the workbench. So as we get going here, again, I'd just like to point out a few things in case anyone's going to go and utilize this uh, tool on their own, um, is that when we look at the genomics workbench, I always will point out, like, this import function. I will be using this import when we talk about metadata or importing reads it's always important how to get data out of this workbench. Like I wanna bring this into some R package to do some you know, statistical tool that you don't have, right? And so I wanna get data out of the application. How do we do that? And so that's through that export function in the top toolbar. Now the one right next to it is grayed out because I have nothing open, but this is graphics. So if we want a picture, say for our poster publication, we generally will use this graphics for the export function of pictures within the application. So we had our import, export, and graphics. Really kind of, I would say, key functions in the uh, top toolbar. Now, below that top toolbar up left is our navigation area. And really, this is just where we're storing data. If it looks kind of familiar with anyone, it's just like a folder. And then you have folders within it. I mean, it kind of looks like any sort of folder structure that you would have seen on either Windows or Mac, even Linux for that matter. And again, it gives us just ways of organizing our data so that way we can find projects or maybe databases uh, a little bit more effectively. Now below the the navigation area is the toolbox. And within the toolbox, there's a couple things I always like to point out. There are template workflows. So a lot of times different plugins or, um, well, yeah, mostly different plugins will bring in uh, workflows that are going to be available. um, Things for, you know, basic workflows are always in the application. Uh, But we do have specific tools for, you know, analyzing uh, human, mouse, rat, you know, kind of um, hereditary or somatic types of um, samples. Again, we'll get into more detail of all of the different applications that the workbench can support. But my key uh, takeaway here is that there's going to be two different areas that we're going to look at. One being template workflows, where, again, we have these pre-built workflows. We'll get into understanding a little bit more what we are going to be looking at um, in that sense of workflows in just a moment. And below the the workflows is going to be our uh, toolbox. And so when we talk about workflows, um, they're going to be comprised of many different individual tools. And so below the uh, workflows, we just have our toolbox. And these are effectively all the individual applications, if you will, uh, that could be utilized in in order to build a pipeline or a workflow. So all the applications that you can do within the workbench are found down here. And then the last sort of key area I always like to point out just before uh, we get into bringing in those plugins is really just, you know, this upper right-hand corner. Uh, A couple of things over here that are great to know. Uh, One is gonna be this plugins. We're gonna use it in just one moment. Two is this download references. I would say, you know, if you're doing anything for human mouse rat, or uh, a variety of other types of applications that reference download can be, you know, quite functional. If we're talking about databases, we are going to get into how we're, you know, how we can easily download some of the different databases within the application. Um, And then directly next to that references, there is a download function. This is going to be like downloading reads at SRA, downloading sequences at NCBI, uh, downloading protein sequences for that matter. Um, And so that's really like downloading different sequences, as I had mentioned. And then the last two over here, one is a workflow manager. So we can build, uh, modify, uh, or install workflows from a file. Um, and of course, we can get into what we call our workflow editor from that um, that uh, uh, icon in the upper right-hand corner. And I, I will point this out last, but it's definitely probably one of the more important, is there's a really easy way of contacting support. So if you're ever getting you know, an error in the application, or I always like to say if you You know, get an an output that you don't expect. Um, And so, you know, if you're, um, you know, get something that you don't expect, uh, the way I like to have it sort of, you know, if you could write to the support and say, you know, I did X, Y, Z, my expectation was, you know, one, I got five, you know, for instance, I'm using random, you know, variables. Um, you know, then it's easier for us to kind of troubleshoot what your expectation are, what you were uh, seeing in that, or what you wanted to see for that result as well. So that's my quick lay of the land. Again, I'd like to kind of make that interactive. But when we talk about um, being able to analyze the AmpliCon sequencing variant data, what we really need to do first and foremost is actually download a plugin that will bring in the tools that we need uh, for doing such uh, the this this type of analysis. And so the plugin manager is extremely easy to access. You can just simply click on plugins. Of course, I have everything installed. So under the manage plugins, we will find this uh, CLC microbial genomics module. And this is really the tool that uh, that I've used to analyze this. And I'll just quickly hit this little uninstall button. And so we can simply go when we are installing, go to the download tab, download and install. this does require that your workbench can access our server in order to download those different functions uh it extracts that sort of zip file and then brings in the tools along with all of the workflows that are associated with that specific module of course we have an end user agreement and once we hit OK here it will ask after uh sorry after we hit close it'll ask if i want to you know restart my workbench and so In order for those tools and plugins to become, you know, uh, effective within the workbench, we do need to restart that application in order to sort of be able to process, uh, in order to be able to utilize those tools um, in the workbench. <clears throat> and so, of course, the workbench just starting up again, and when doing so, I'll point out that, you know, we would now end up with specific tools, as, as, as I mentioned, but also um, workflows. I'll point out the workflows first just to give you a sense of what's coming in in that space. But what we're really going to be looking at is, you know, how do I get a database in order to match my Amplicon sequencing variant um, sequences you know, and sort of be able to get a taxonomic, uh, you get taxonomic uh, information uh, linked to those different sequences. <clears throat> Perfect. And so now that the workbench is restarted. Well, if you had never installed any plugins, so I have all these plugins installed, and now that I have uninstalled the work that plugin and reinstalled it, I need to update some of these template workflows as there are you know new versions of certain tools, for instance. Perfect. All right. So when we bring in that plugin, we will now find within the template workflows a group of tools called microbial workflows. And if we expand this, just to give you a sense, you're going to get understanding for like taxonomic analysis, amplicon based. And if we're looking at what we're talking about today, which is detect amplicon sequencing variants and assign taxon- taxonomy, this is going to be the, the tool that I'm going to be utilizing for processing this data. Again, for the to run this workflow, there's a couple components that we need essentially uh, an adapter list, uh, a database, and we need to bring in our reads. And so before we can execute this workflow, we do need to bring in a couple of things. Um, but again, just trying to point out, we do get many different workflows uh, that stem a couple different different um, research areas for that microbial workflows once the plugin is installed. And in addition, there'll be a, a large group of tools that get installed. And again, many of these tools are what are utilized to generate different workflows up above. And as I was mentioning, in order to do a lot of these different types of analyses, one thing that we're going to need to do is we're going to need to download databases, right? We need to be able to take my sequences that we're, uh, that we're finding or binning in our amplifying sequencing variants, and we need to compare that to a database that has taxonomic information. And so, obviously, there's a couple ways that we can do that. Um, one is, of course, bringing in your own like, uh, data set. But we try to make things very easy within the application. And so within the tools for the microbial genomics module, there's a specific databasing function or databases within that. And here we can see for like taxonomic analysis, there are ways of downloading like a custom microbial reference database. Today, I'm simply going to talk about a curated microbial reference database. And when we utilize this, there are several databases that we can download, Um, one being sort of select a reference database to. Um, you know, the sort of chiogen, uh curated references to the genus level or to the family level, um, human gastrointestinal um, database, uh, HPV databases, viral databases can be downloaded from here, uh, things even including sort of monkeypox. Again, these are general databases that you can download. We can, of course, create our, uh, our custom version or even bring in a, uh, our own files to be able to do this. Um, But one thing I will point out is, you know, if you're trying to understand what are those databases, because a lot of them are just acronyms, you can easily hit this little help button. Um, It does bring you directly into the help manual, specifically to what we're looking at. So here you can see download a curated microbial reference database. And we try to give you a good sense of what each of those are like this to the genus level, you know, it's trying to give you a good representation of both bacteria and archaea um, types of sequences. Um, and really, you know, if we're utilizing this, it takes uh, to the genus level about 32 gigs of memory, you know, in order to sort of stick that, that database into RAM. And sort of that's where that computational burden within that sort of ABS comes into AS, ASVs uh, come into play. It's really, you know, you're matching those sequences against a reference database and sort of that's where uh, it can get a little bit long winded. Um, and so some of the to the genus level will need, you know, 30, 32 gigs of RAM. I was really utilizing this one sort of to the family level, uh, which generally you know requires roughly about 16 gigs of RAM. And as I had mentioned, that H uh, that UHGG was the human uh, unified human gastrointestinal genomes, and so you can get a really good sense of you know what they are. Of course, you know papers if they're available. Um, and of course, you know you can see here for like database coming from like RefSeq, et cetera. So we do try to give you an understanding of where they're coming from, and really these curated databases are just trying to make it a bit easier than you know coming up with you know uh, a specific uh, database. So again, I believe I used the one uh, effectively to the family where it only required about sixteen gigs of RAM. And now when we talk about the uh, Amplicon sequencing variants. The file that it actually uses for the tool is this index uh, profile. And so that is definitely going to be one thing that is going to be important to download is to make sure that we take in that uh, index profile, uh, that taxonomic profiling index file, uh, because this is what we're going to be utilizing in the workflow when we come to execute it. So at this point in time, we were able to, you know, we uh, downloaded our plugin, right? We utilized that plugin within the database's tools to be able to download a curated database. Again, I mentioned I went to the family level to require only about 16 gigs of RAM. Um, and then, you know, the other components that we need to be able to, you know, bring in in order to, you know, run this workflow is going to be uh, the reads themselves and we, Try to make import as easy as possible. As I mentioned earlier, there's an import function. And when we click on it, we do break it down in, you know, by vendor, if you will, like Illumina, uh, Oxford Nanopore, FastQ files, IonTorrent, etc. And so in this case, we were talking about Illumina data. So we would just simply click on Illumina. Um, and at this point in time, we can either point to a folder or individual files. Uh, if we utilize files, then we would actually dive into a, a given folder where we can select the specified um, FASTQ files to bring in. And of course, in this case, we are dealing with a paired data set, as I had mentioned in the overview of the data. Uh, And so we're going to have an R1 and R2 for each sample, and we can simply highlight those files. It's always important to just verify under general options. Again, that paired is checked because I do have a paired data set. And in this case, I'm not going to be utilizing any of the other additional um, functions. Everything that's set as default is uh, adequate for bringing in this data. And of course, I'm a big fan of saving into separate folders. Again, it just kind of gives us a little bit of a better organization. And so here I can just say that we're going to um, create a folder to import those reads in uh, and then hit finish. And of course that brings in that data into the application. Now I did want to point out for today's data set I I did grab it from SRA and so I do like to just point out you know how do you access uh, you know SRA from within the application so I could have grabbed that same information or those same reads effectively by simply going into the download tools within the upper in the upper right hand corner and choosing search for reads at SRA. Couple ways we could have looked at this that you can search for just general terms like you know, ASVs or things along those lines. Um, But we could also, you know, utilize in this case, I will um, just grab one of the the sample identifiers down here in my navigation area. And so if you were reading a paper and had anything like a sample identifier or um, even like maybe a study a session number, uh, we can utilize that information in order to find that, that given data set. And so, as I had mentioned, Um, You know, when I was looking for this data, I really just searched for amplicon sequencing variants was sort of my search term of what I was looking for. Uh, And again, I was kind of looking for something that provided, uh, you know, different groups that we would be able to compare in this case, like different soil samples, etc. Now, uh, what we can see, for instance, when we do that search, uh, now I can see I have all those uh, sequences available for that whole study. Um, but right now, I only am looking at fifty, so of course, to expand this, we just hit that little more button, and we can expand it out to the hundred and six samples um and then you know choose to uh select them and download the reads and metadata for those given samples. so really, downloading accessing uh publicly available data should be pretty straightforward. Um, you can search for the you know given a session number, a project i d bio project might be a good terminology. Um, and then find those samples that are associated with it. And then, of course, select the ones that you're interested in and download the reads and the metadata that's associated with them. And that metadata is going to be, you know, sort of important, uh, you know, moving forward to understand which samples are replicates of each other or, you know, are they, you know, coming from the, the swamp? Is it a, the forest samples, et cetera? That metadata is really what helps us define that information. If I grab the reads from SRA, it actually just downloads the the data, the metadata, uh, right along with the reads. Um, But for today's purpose, I do want to just mention how to import metadata for when you have your own samples. And just to give you a sense, you know, it's always nice to say, you know, what does metadata look like? And just uh, you. Generally, it's going to be an Excel file that gives us information about our sequences. Uh, And in this case, the key column here being like sort of this first one where I have the sample identifier. But you can see information about like replicate, um, where is isolation source, so I can see if it's desert soil, forest soil, swamp soil. And so it gives us all of that information about those different samples and we're going to be able to leverage this information in order to look for you know what's different between things or um in order to generate uh different uh objects within um the uh, the workbench itself. So we want to be able to link this file and all of this information with what's in our um with what's in our um Uh, the reads that we just downloaded or imported into our application. And again, it's a simple import tool where we click on import. And instead of one of the reads, we're actually just bringing in metadata, right? And we can see it looks like a table that we're bringing in. And we will simply browse that Excel file that I just opened. Right, and say okay. And what it will do is give me a quick little preview of that table. Looks exactly like we just saw in Excel, but when we get into the the next step, what it's gonna ask is what data do we want to associate with this? And so what we'll simply do is take all of the reads that we downloaded. And in this case, I, I can either match perfect or prefix and we can see here that there's an element that matches each of the keys in my metadata. And we would simply import the metadata as such. And again, what it's doing is effectively within the, each of these samples or reads, now within the element information will uh, contain, you know, uh, you know what run a session does this come from? You know, what uh, site uh, isolation source is it? Um, You know, what's the replicate identifier? And so all of this information that we've just uh, brought in from that Excel file is going to be married to each of the different uh, samples that we have over here. Um, The last component in order to execute this workflow um is really to bring in an adapter list. So as I had mentioned, there were certain adapters that were used. I think it was the 505F and the 806R. And so we wanna generate or create this adapter list in order to be able to trim off that information. And so in order to do that, we would actually just create a new, and this is just called a trim adapter list. And what we can do here is click on the add row. Um, And so what we would wanna do is Uh, give it give it the uh, name here, so 505F. Um, and I just have the sequence uh, on another screen that I'm copying from. So you would just copy and paste what your um, sequence is. And then what part of the sequence is this? This is on the uh, forward. Uh, so we want to say that we're going to remove the adapter and the preceding five prime sequence from it. Um, and then we can say finish, for instance, and add our second adapter, which is going to be that 806R. And again, uh, just kind of copying, pasting uh, from my chat or uh, some from my uh, text editor, uh, just to make life easier for me. Uh, and then we just simply paste that in. Uh, This time, again, we're talking about the reverse. So in this case, we would be removing from the 3 prime end, um, and now we can click finish. So we've made our sort of adapter list, um, and what we can do here um, is simply say uh, that we're going to save this. So I'm just going to go to file um, and say save as, and we'll just give it a nice name like um, ASD's adapter list. Right, and we can just save that into our folder here. And now we've saved our adapter list, right? Um, and so that really gets us all of the, the sort of information that we're going to need before we can, you know, run uh, the workflows uh, within the application. And again, I kind of like to, you know, back up a little bit and just summarize what we've done. So in order to in, to run any of these tools, or download that database. We had to get a plugin installed, that being the CLC Microbial Genomics module. Again, we just clicked on the plugins download, uh, chose the one we wanted to install, um, and again, uh, you know, there's a user end-user agreement, and uh, you had to restart the workbench once you told it to uh, close the dialog box. Um, that brings in a variety of tools. Um, within the uh, navigation area, sorry, within the toolbox, and of course, uh, specific workflows as well. One being the sort of database component, and we use that for downloading a curator database, specifically an index file that we can actually utilize for uh, running the workflow that we're going to be talking about in just a moment. Again, I downloaded da- really down to the fa- family level that required about a 16 gigs of RAM, and again, we really need to make sure that we download that index file because that's really the file that we're going to be utilizing. And I just stuck this in my slides uh, because because again, I think it's important that, you know, within that help menu, you can get a lot of information. And just to give you a sense of those, you know, databases that we have, you know, curated either ourselves or have uh, available, again, you can see there's a variety of different databases that you can easily access from that uh, download curated uh, database. And once we got our database uh, and our plugin installed, we talked about bringing in reads and of course downloading them from SRA. So to to import our reads, we utilize the import function. We choose the vendor that we're utilizing for import. um, And then of course we either can choose the folder or files that we're looking to import into the application. Um, And as I had mentioned, you know, always good to make sure that the general options are set accordingly. Like if it's paired reads, that should definitely just be checked. Um, For today's purposes, again, I utilize searching for reads at SRA, which is really just a function in the upper right-hand corner. Um, We can utilize that download and search for reads at SRA, um, where, again, we could search for, like, you know, a a study accession number. Um, You know, you could look for a scientific name like soil metagenome. Uh, Again, really, you can search for any of these types of information. Um, And of course, once you've highlighted your samples that you're interested in, um, you can download the results, the reads, I'm sorry, the reads and the metadata associated with that um, entity in the the database. The uh, SRA download will bring in metadata itself. But of course, if you have your own samples, and you have information about them as like in this case, you know, What's the soil type? What replicate is it? Um, And so, you know, you can bring in that information that we're going to be able to utilize and overlay on a lot of the graphics as we sort of do the analysis within the application. Um, And we did the brought this in again through the import function, specifically importing metadata. Um, We're utilizing an Excel spreadsheet that the key column here is really the run a session number. And that should be exactly what's over here uh, or similar to what's over here in the navigation area. And we can effectively utilize this to pair that data where in, when we open up that result or that uh, metadata file, um, we can actually tell it to find the associated data and all of the files that are generated from that sample uh, will be associated to that uh, that entity. So um, the, the metadata files not only are used for Sort of graphical purposes, which we will see shortly, but also uh, for accessing files. Again, if you can imagine having 60 or 70 samples, um, it might be quick, uh, easier to go, I want all soils, uh, all forest soil samples, uh, and sort of utilize the metadata and sort by a specific or sort filter by a specific column. And you can find all of those specific samples pretty quickly. Um, so the metadata does offer us that. And the last component that we created was really a trim adapter list, uh, where this sequence list is going to be utilized in order to, you know, trim the adapters from uh, the forward and reverse read. Again, it's just improving the um, the accuracy of the amplicon sequencing variants um, uh, protocol, and so you know, really just bringing that information if they have not been removed from your sequencing provider is quite useful to do. Um, And again, it is just simply by clicking on the new in the upper left-hand corner, creating a trim adapter list where, you know, we added a new row and put in the information about a specific adapter that we want to trim. Um, And in this case, we had a forward and a reverse, and so I had the 505 and the 806 uh, adapters that we uh, added into the tool, Um, so we can then go ahead and, you know, run that workflow. So that's sort of where I want to at least give a a quick, you know, breather. Um, It's been, you know, a good amount of time. Hopefully, you know, everyone got an understanding what Amplicon sequencing variants are, the difference between OTU clustering, uh, a bit of an understanding about what today's data is and what we're looking to understand, like what's a different microbial community. And then really, in order to get to the point of analyzing this data, there was sort of some prerequisites, if you will, like installing a plugin. Downloading some database, importing our reads, or downloading reads from SRA, you know, marrying that metadata, and then in, in this case, you know, bringing in an adapter list that we can utilize for the analysis component. Okay, so um, I see a couple questions that have kind of come in. Um, One asking about, you know, bringing in primer sequences. Um, So again, I think that um, there are ways of bringing in primer sequences, but again, I'm not sure if you really mean adapter sequences like I'm referring to. Uh, But if you're talking about specific primer sequences, um, I mean, generally uh, they would be uh, brought in through just import uh, and you can see import primer pairs. Um, And so there's a way of bringing that sort of information in uh, where there's a sort of generic file format uh, for primer pairs. This is oftentimes more utilized, I would say, when I'm mapping reads to a reference and I have uh, amplicon sequences that I want, you know, and I want to mask those primer regions so that way they don't get utilized for sort of uh, variant calling. Um, Generally, when we talk about, you know, what we're looking at here, um is is really sort of sequencing a specific region um and so there's one adapter that's being used in order and so i am just not sure if um you know depending on where the you know primer if it's primer then adapter sequence uh we can effectively remove or find the adapter and say everything you know five towards the five prime is removed um, and so the primer would automatically get removed because it's five it's in the five prime direction to uh, the adapter sequence. Um, so really, the lay of the sequence might be important for me to know how to um, answer that question in greater detail., um, so the kind of more of a use case of you know what you're you need it for, um, or or sort of that the application um, that you're utilizing it for. Could potentially be uh, needed to answer that in greater detail.
1: Thanks, Sean. Um, So another question that came up is, can you import a bed file within Workbench? So another question that came up is, can you import um, a primer bed file?
0: Um, Well, um, so I mean, for a a. a, sequence list or uh, adapter list, uh, you can import um, a file to, to be utilized as this. Um, again, let me see if we can go under the help. Um, mm, uh, I can find the exact link, uh, but you can bring in like a list to j- create this uh, adapter. So again, it could it would be possible to bring in a list of sort of primers and create that as your sort of adapter sequence. But again, I would want to know more about the layout of the sequence because oftentimes it would be primer and then an adapter inside of that primer. And then, you know, uh, and so it might just get removed through uh, adapter trimming. So it could just be the layout of the sequence might give us a better understanding of what might be the best way of of sort of approaching, removing that primer sequence. Um, And again, understanding that sequence layout would be uh, paramount to do so. Uh,
1: Thanks, so for that user, um, do know that you can always reach out to us and we can always schedule um, a more, uh, schedule one-on-one meeting to kind of uh, further address your custom questions. Um, So another question that came up was, um, can you import your own database as a reference within the workbench?
0: Um, yep, for sure. Um, I mean, there are ways to bring in that your own, uh, you know, sequence list and uh, creating that as a reference file. Uh, and then in the case of what we've been looking at today, it would, you know, you would want to have the taxonomic uh, information associated with those sequences. So that way we could create that like taxonomic profile that we would be using for or taxonomic uh, profiling index file yeah uh, so that way we would be able to you know leverage that for you know identifying taxa but if it was for other applications like read mapping then just any you know fasta file would work for for mapping against
1: Thanks. So it looks like you still have a lot to cover. So for those of you that have questions, please go ahead and utilize the Q&A box. I've also launched a speed poll just to um, give some feedback in terms of how Sean's doing. So it looks like, uh, Sean, you're doing pretty good, just maybe a little bit slower for some of them. But in terms of pace, um, your pace is fine. Um, And so we'll have another Q&A session um, uh, towards the end of today's session. So again, if you guys have any questions, please continue to uh, put them in through the Q&A box. Back to you, Sean.
0: Perfect. All right. So again, we covered a lot of the, you know, backend stuff. And so what I want to do right now is sort of, you know, understand the workflow that comes as part of that plugin um, that we can use within the genomics work, workbench um, to process the amplified sequencing variant um, data sets. And then of course, how do we, you know, execute that workflow, look at some of the results. And then again, we'll look at sort of, uh, you know, other applications that we can sort of uh, analyze in the workbench. Um, and when I talk about a workflow, um, before I jump into the tool, I'll I'll actually just pose this up. Um, and so what we're looking at here is a multiple-step process um, where we are going to analyze your data. And in this case, there's a couple of things I like to point out. There's this iterate function. And so what this is really doing is building a loop within my workflow. So if I have 60 samples, for instance. All 60 of them will go through this top component, which is trim my reads, detect Amplicon sequencing variants, right? And then it will do all 60 of those. And once it's finished, those 60 will then move on to the next step. So the collecting and distributing, this will collect those 60 results and wait for all of them to finish. And once it does, it can then move on to the next step, like merging the abundance tables and then assigning taxonomic information. Right, and so the first thing I'm pointing out that I think are pretty interesting in these workflows is really this iterate function and collect, which allows us to build loops um, within the application. Right, Um, and then when we talk about the workflow itself, the first components that it's doing is a trimming and it's detecting those Amplicon sequencing variants and so what we're looking at here is trimming an adapter, maybe removing poor quality bases, et cetera. And then understanding, you know, those trimmed sequences, right, are now the input for the next step, which is that detect amplicon sequencing variant. And now, you know we can uh, when we'll jump into the application, I'll talk a little bit more about what's going on in each of those steps. Um, and so the other thing I will point out before we get into the tool is really all of these blue boxes here are outputs for the tool. So, we're going to generate like a trim report for each sample. You know, there'll be this detected amplicon sequencing variant report, um, you know, a report for the emerging of the abundance table. Um, And we take all of this information or all of these reports and and do a lot of combining. And so, we will create a combined overall report for each of the samples. And then, in addition, we create like a sample level report as well. Um, And so, we give a lot of information about you know, uh, what's going on uh, on the sample level, um, on the uh, combined report, and then also uh, from a QC perspective as well. Um, and so you will see mul- multiple reports that are sort of generated um, from this different, uh, from these workflows. Um, and right now I'm sort of really showing us a, a very static image, but I will open it up in the workbench in just one moment and show how you can easily modify these workflows as well um, and, you know, change variables and parameters as you see fit. Um, and so, let's do that now, grab my uh jumping into the workbench. When we talk about you know executing, uh, oh, sorry, when we talk about this workflow specifically, um, as I had mentioned, what we will see when we install plugins are a variety of template workflows. Um, as I had pointed out earlier, when we install that microbial genomics module, we will see some for uh, microbial workflows. And what we're looking at today is specifically uh, metagenomics and amplicon-based analysis. A uh, couple different uh, workflows pop up here, you know, data QC and OTU clustering. Of course, that's for OTU uh, functions. Uh, below that, we have our detect, uh, detect amplicon sequencing variants and assign taxonomy. And that's really the workflow that we just saw. And I can open that view by simply right-clicking on it and saying open a copy of it. Right. I kind of did that a little, little quick, but I'll do that again. Uh, so once you are you know want to look at what's going on in a workflow, you can always right click and say open a copy of it, which allows you to get access to you know each of the individual steps. And so again it you know nothing different than what we just saw within my slides um except for now when we're looking at it in the application, we can double click on any of the tools and see well what's going on for trimming. Right, I just clicked on trim, we can see it does a quality trimming and it's locked down. Like you don't have a choice when you run this tool by default, right, to do, to not do quality trimming. If you uncheck this box, you can make your own copy of these workflows. And of course, enable quality trimming to be toggled on or off or any of these other parameters that we see, you know, locked within within any step. So again, we're doing some quality trimming. As I mentioned, removing the adapter, which is going to be defined during the execution, and then homopolymer trimming. I mean, these are just some basic trimming functions that are enabled in the application, many of which are not being utilized, but are are locked down. And again, you do have the ability to modify these workflows as you see. fit. For today, I really didn't modify any of the settings with regards to trimming or or actually anything for that matter. And so once the reads are trimmed, again, a report is going to be generated. But the key here is really those trimmed reads are going on to the next step. They're not being saved, it's an intermediate file. So we're going to just take those cleaned up reads and we're going to do what's called Detect Amplicon Sequencing variants, where First and foremost, we basically will trim the forward and reverse to like a fixed length based in this would be sort of what you would change based on, you know, knowing information about your um, sequencing data. And again, you'll notice here that these are unlocked. You can change them on the fly. There's a certain number of, you know, errors that we're uh, expecting per read. Um, And again, just a way of being able to toss out reads with uh, higher than expected sort of error rates within them. And then, as I kind of mentioned, in a way of sort of cleaning up the data, you know, ways of removing Chimera uh, sequences are important in order to be able to, you know, get a more accurate type of data. Again, the help button being utilized to really give you a lot of information here. And again, you know, this is really inspired based on the Data2 tool that's out there. And so by clicking on that help button, you will get information about, you know, what that algorithm is doing. And of course, if it's based on any open source tool as well. So one thing it does here is it basically does like an, a de novo. Uh, uh, it collapses or bins all the reads based on sort of their sequence. Uh, it assigns like an MD5 sum because every unique sequence, every unique file has an MD5 sum that's unique to that string of ACTs. And so we can use that, that identifier or that MD5 sum as a way to track sample, uh, the same sequence across different samples. And so again, if you look at this function right now, I'm doing this detect amplicon sequencing variance on the individual sample level. And once that sample level is done, we collect all the results and merge the tables. This is definitely one way that you kind of reduce some of the uh, computational burden is by you know doing each of the data sets independently, keeping track of you know if it's the same sequence, it has the same MD5 sum, and then sort of looking at those MD5 sums afterwards. Uh, and and collapsing them down and counting, uh, you know, the how many times they're observed. And then once we, you know, have that sequence, uh, we have those counts. We can then, you know, compare that information to a database. And that database is really going to be that index file that we download. Again, I use down to the sixteen um, gig version, so down to the family. And we will be defining this during the execution of the workflow as well. And then, you know, as I had mentioned, there's a couple uh, uh, other f- files that are generated here. So like a QC for sequencing reads, it's just going to give me an understanding of, you know, how well did my sequencing run go uh, and, you know, how many duplicate sequences, uh, you know, uh, effectively the types of information that you would get from something like FastQC. And that's going to be, you know, put into a, a report for um. Uh, 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 an overall report so we can, you know, quickly inspect any, if there's any potential outliers or, you know, bad data within our our sample sets. So that's what the workflow is doing. Um, I know it seems like a lot and you're gonna be like, oh, well, okay, that's a lot of different steps, but, you know, from an execution point of view, right? If I'm gonna just process the data set the first time, you know, I'm not going to worry about maybe changing some of those parameters. What we can easily do from an execution is simply come down to the tool in the or the workflow in the the uh, the toolbox below, and simply double click on that, and it will uh, walk me through a a set of wizards for executing this uh, analysis. And so the first thing we're going to want to do is like, well, what are the reads that we want to process? Right, select reads. Um, and in this case, what we can do. Uh, is utilize this folder. In my case, I said, I put everything in this folder called reads, and I can push that folder over and say everything in this folder, I want to you know, analyze in this uh, analysis, All right? When I click next, you can see what's step number three, select an adapter trim list. Well, that's that adapter list that we created. And so we can simply go to our adapter list here uh, adapters for ASVs, uh, yeah. Um, add that to the adapters that we're going to trim, and now we have our last select taxonomic profiling. Uh, so that would be that uh, that database, that curated database, to the as I had mentioned to the family level. That really requires about sixteen gigs of RAM. Pushing that over to the right, and now all it's going to ask is like, well, how do we want to configure batching? And it's that's really how does that iterate function work? Right. If everything is laid out where I just select, you know, each file is one sample. Oftentimes, this or the using the organization of the data will work, and that's actually what I'm going to use in this case, where we can now see that I have a unit, and each unit contains one set of reads, and so it's now selected. You know, I've selected all the fifty-nine or sixty samples, and each sample is going to run through this pipeline. You know, as an independent entity, but it will be. You know, In the combined steps, it will take the results from all 60 samples and combine them into one. And then now all we can see are the unlocked parameters. So the first read length, second read length, and remove Chimeras were unlocked in the workflow. Everything else by default was locked down, right? And so I don't have options for changing those parameters by default, but I've already showed you how you can easily modify a workflow Um, I didn't mention uh, you saving it, but I I can circle back to that in in a moment. Um, And so here, any of the unlocked parameters we can, you know, uh, change. And then, of course, last but not least is how do we want to handle those results? We can only save them when we do workflows because it doesn't know how many objects it's going to create. And we can also preview all the parameters here that is going to be, you know, utilized um, in the analysis. In addition, we can set sort of like Minimum number of reads after trimming, and sort of these will be the thresholds in our reports uh, that will either get flagged as passing or failing, if you will. All right, and then lastly, you would just say, "I'm going to, you know, run this, and I'm going to, you know, save this into. Generally, I'm going to make a new folder, uh, you know, below the root level, and say this is going to be my results folder, uh, and say okay, and then of course hit the finish button. My laptop, which is from 2017, takes about four hours to process those 60 samples, utilizing that, you know, the variables that I just kind of set forward. Um, And again, we don't really have time for that process to happen. So just like any good cooking show, I already have those results where, again, we will end up with a lot of these individual sample level results, which I generally don't necessarily utilize. I kind of go all the way down to the end. First and foremost, I may want to look at like the combined QC report, and this is going to show me all 59, I think uh, one sample got thrown out, Uh, will show me all of my sample information and, right, and give me information about, in this case, like the summary statistics, how many reads, how many bases. We can see, for instance, like some of the samples like this, if you will, has a lot fewer fewer reads than the rest and therefore gets flagged in this uh, data set as something that may you know, be an outlier or a sample that should potentially be removed. Um, there's also additional like QC for sequencing data, you know, quality distribution, QC contra- uh, content. And so really the output that you would get from something like FastQC. Again, I probably utilize this if I, you know, look at the results and something looks weird, like, hey, that one sample, you know, you know maybe is an outlier in the PCA plot, and I look at the summary and I go, well, there's you know you know it has a factor of a hundred less uh or you know ten less uh you know um reads in it, then maybe that's a sample that i I need to read sample or redo um in my analysis so again, you get that nice q c report there's also a combined analysis report, which is a little bit more uh giving me a sense of. You know, the QC statistics, so the number of reads, you know, before and after trimming. And again, this was that, that threshold that I set in my own data set or in that sort of uh, uh, parameters. I would maybe set this a bit higher, but we can see, for instance, some samples that fall below that threshold easily get flagged in the data. Um, and so you may want to utilize that as a way of, uh, you know, not con- incorporating that uh, in the analysis. Um, of course, things like average length after trimming. Um, And then lastly, sort of this detect amplicon sequencing variant. And so this is just saying, well, what are the number of reads? Uh, Reads in, you know, uh, amplicon sequencing variants, how many of them are unique? And then amplicon sequencing variants, you know, just kind of gives me a sense of, you know, the number of uh, uh, sequences that we can then utilize in the downstream analysis. So again, QC reports, just to give me a sense of what's going on within that data, but as i uh, had mentioned you know what what we oftentimes want to know is oh uh, what's in it right um and so we can easily understand that through our merged abundance table um where we get an understanding of each of the names and so that name is that md5 sum as i mentioned which represents a specific sequence right in this actg And so we're matching those specific sequences to that taxonomic database and giving ourselves an understanding of the distribution across, in this case, uh, all of the different samples. So here in the right-hand side panel, we're looking at the the sample level abundance. And the nice thing about this right-hand side panel, it allows me to manipulate the view and say, well, I don't want to look at the sample level. I want to look more at the Uh, the the replicate level, right? Because I had multiple replicates within each group. And so here we can see like, you know, the desert, the composition of the desert soil uh, with the PFOA uh, abundance, right? And it gives us an understanding of those counts. So we can easily break this information down utilizing this right-hand side panel. And of course, turn on or off different data that we want to visualize by utilizing the checkboxes next to them. This will enable you to, make specific subsets of data if you want to, um, and create you know new abundance tables with specific information, maybe only the swamp samples or only the desert samples. And so you can easily break out that information by utilizing this right-hand side panel and creating a subsample to do so. Generally, what I would want to look at this though is in a picture. And so I've shown you, you know what does our samples look, what does our, the data look like you know, based on uh, in a sort of a picture way. And again, you know, utilizing this right-hand side panel, we can again do that same type of thing. Like, well, how do we want to, you know, aggregate our samples, right? And so we could so, so we could say by isolation source, right? And so now that groups all the desert, all the forests, all the swamp, and all uh, the soil, Virginia soil samples all together, right? Lumps all the replicates together. Uh, so generally that probably wouldn't be the way we want to look at it. But we may want to understand, okay, well, within each of the samples, right, how does that look based on the replicates, right? So now I can sort by all the Arizona PFOA, you know, replicates. And generally speaking, within each of these different replicates, the the compositions look relatively similar, right? You can, you know, kind of see the different banding, for instance generally very similar within you know the different conditions for each of the different uh, soils uh, that we were looking at, for instance. Um, as I had said before, whenever we look at these types of charts, uh, one thing that we potentially want to be able to do uh, is export those for graphical purposes. And so to export this picture, we would want to modify the image on the right-hand side panel and then choose to export, I'm going to say, the whole area because I want this whole object and we can choose the type of uh, object that we want to export that in, say something like vector graphics, um, and we can export that image and it will look exactly how it does on screen. You want to incorporate a legend, we can utilize this right-hand side panel to show that legend, and now that information will then be incorporated into the image that's being exported. Uh, So really to understand, well, who's here, uh, right? I would want to potentially utilize this abundance table uh, and get an understanding of, you know, what, what is the, diff- the the composition in uh, within my samples and to understand, you know, what's kind of uh, going on um, within each different soil sample as well. And so this gives me a who's here, if you will. Um, I also want to know how similar or different are my samples and really did I sequence my samples enough? And so re- what I had used after this, uh, um, you know, running this uh, uh, ASV workflow was really this estimate alpha and beta diversity. Uh, what this allows me to do is get an understanding of did I sequence my samples enough? And then not only that, but you know provides me you know a uh, like a PCA plot of how similar or different are my samples. Um, and so from again, from an execution point of view, uh, we can just simply double click on that estimate alpha and beta diversity and the input here is just going to be, the um, the merge abundance table and we can choose different ways that we are you know uh, creating that alpha diversity Um, and we can see for instance you know uh, some of the uh, information for you know replicates and replacement uh, and things along those lines Um, in addition for the beta diversity we can choose you know what are going to be utilized for the different methods for creating a PCA plot for our different samples. And of course, I would simply save this result um, in my navigation area. And for every output that I checked, I will end up with having that information in the uh, in the navigation area here as well. And so uh, first and foremost, maybe looking at the alpha diversity, we get a sense that um, from like a phylogenetic diversity, Uh, We can see, you know, are there samples that maybe uh, we could sequence more um, or, you know, have too few many reads. Uh, And so some of these samples with maybe few reads or not really totally flattening off uh, very well, uh, maybe I want to sequence those samples in greater depth. Uh, There's also like uh, total counts that you can look at as well. Uh, And this just sort of gives us total counts and the number of reads that are found. Um, and so the alpha diversity is not horrible, but again, there were some samples that I would probably throw out just as outliers due to the fact that they had so few reads in comparison to their to the re- remaining uh, samples. So that alpha diversity allows us to sort of examine that uh, information of did I sequence my sample enough, similar to something that we'd use in OTU clustering, um, and then of course something like you know opening up a, 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 the beta diversity, which is going to give me Uh, Like a PCOA plot or PCA plot, where we can now overlay that metadata that we've incorporated with our samples, uh, such as let me color by maybe um, isolation source um, and label by replicate. Right. And so this just allows me to see based on a PCOA plot, you know, are there things that look similar or different? Like, this really kind of throws me for a little bit, like this sample uh, that's clustering right here in the middle, which is like Virginia, time point zero, swamp control, things along those lines. So I might wonder if there's something going on here uh, with regards to you know that specific sample because of, of where it's clustering. Uh, so this is allowing me to understand are there outliers within my data? Are there certain conditions that cluster together uh, whereas uh, they don't? In- other places and so again this would be a way of looking as as i mentioned for outliers within the data um and again i kind of question you know this sample is maybe potentially being mislabeled uh maybe it was something i modified in the metadata or something that just got switched in the metadata when they uploaded it into sra uh but definitely something i might want to look at in greater detail uh and of course maybe i just go by name and i can see that's this sr uh R, i'll call it 8001 and so maybe I'll go back and start looking at the, you know, quality, can, quality for that data and things along those lines to make sure that, you know, there's something not amiss about that one data set. So, so far, we've been able to say, well, what's in here through our abundance tables and our bar charts? We can say, well, how similar or different are our samples? Um, and then sort of the last question I kind of wanted to pose for today was really just, you know, are there, is there something common, I guess, across these that are, you know, that's sort of uh, in in a count fashion? And so what we can do is take the information uh, uh, within our metagenomics tools and, and create a heat map based on that abundance table. And so what we can do is take the information uh, that we've generated through that merged abundance table, so effectively the output from that amplicon sequencing variant, and we can generate a heat map based on a fixed number of features, uh, based on an abundance table where it needs to have a certain, uh, you know, count or something along those lines. Um, or, you know, again, we could also say uh, by a certain number of um, or certain features, so certain names or such. In this case, I'm just going to say fixed number of features. And again, it's trying to utilize the most differentially um, expressed uh, sort of count uh samples in order to generate that heat map and in this case it's not a workflow so I can open that output and we'll generate that heat map and we can see very quickly on the fly you know there are you know some you know we'll say taxonomic sequences that are more present in certain samples than in others and again this right hand side panel being quite useful uh you know maybe again we'll go to something like uh Isolation source, right? And now we can see, for instance, you know, clustering of, you know, the desert, the swamp, Virginia, forest. And then we do have some that are sort of intermixed. And so, what we could do again, utilizing that metadata, well, first, I might want to make the desert orange or something because it looks like sand. And now it kind of just gets that away. Um, But we can then, you know, utilize additional information, like maybe replicate uh, info and see if, you know, those replicates that we see over here are, you know, coming from, you know, certain types of samples within um, the swamp. And so it looks like, uh, you know, it's, you know, the POF, PFOA sample that's clustering in that group. So again, we can utilize that metadata to uh, get that type of information uh, and be able to overlay that within our our heat map and then export that type of information for, say, publication purposes. I think uh, just to kind of quickly uh, make sure I kept myself on track here. uh, We talked about the workflow and and how easy it was to, to launch because once we had all of our database tools, we our files, we can just simply click on the application or the tool within uh, the the workflow or template workflows. Um, and then we walked through just that um, specific um, uh, uh, wizard where you know first we were asked to select our reads. After we selected our reads, it was you know, what is the trim adapter list? Uh, we specified the taxonomic database. We configured the batching, in this case, to just use the organization of the data, which really just meant that every entity that was in there was its own, and it looks like that's how it's going to be processed, where then we specified any of the parameters that were unlocked in the workflow, specifically within the detect Amplicon sequencing variants. And then, of course, we would save those results, because when things are running in a workflow, we won't be given the option to open Ah, uh, the results because it could be hundreds of files that could be opened. Uh, we can preview all the parameters from here. And when I ran it, I did s- create a new folder called results and saved all of the results into that folder. Um, that folder had a very specific structure where it created a folder for each sample and put on any, any of the sort of uh, specific sample level information in those folders, and then everything at like the the um, experiment level we'll call it was at the root folder like the analysis report that gave us an understanding of the quality uh, of sort of how the analysis went the qc report that told me the quality of the data and then what we really cared about the merged abundance table um and uh you know generating some other downstream components as i had mentioned when we looked at the tool the qc report is really nice because it lets me see are there samples that maybe have too few reads or seem, you know, as outliers in comparison to others. In addition, the, you know, um, the analysis level, we do have the ability to set some of the thresholds, which, you know, would maybe fail some of these samples based on uh, the criteria that we are specifying um, and flag them a little bit in more detail. Um, And then we were able to say, well, what organism is there through that merged abundance table and we could look at the sample level which is what it kind of defaults to initially but and, and of course explore that where you know we could see at each of the at the sample level within each of the different uh replicates you know the samples look you know really pretty similar and then additionally we could group those together and combine them into you know their individual replicates and sort of merge all of that information where we could see you know what's the difference between you know, the desert uh, PFOA treated versus PFOS. Uh, and how does that control, compare to, you know, the time, uh, the control at time point five, for instance? And we get an understanding of that in a visual sense. Lastly, I wondered how well did I do my sequencing through uh, looking at alpha diversity? Uh, how, how similar or different are our samples? Uh, we could explore through that beta diversity. Where as I had mentioned, this sort of PFOS sample from the desert kind of seems like a little bit of an outlier in comparison to sort of the others. So I'd wonder uh, a little bit about that maybe the quality or the number of reads for that specific sample specific uh, uh, specifically, for instance. Uh, and then uh, we ran the alpha and beta diversity workflow uh, is how we got that that information uh, for those um, the graphics that we just had uh, created. And then lastly, we explored, you know, is there something that's, you know, this similar across all of these experiments uh, by utilizing a heat map, uh, which is just done through creating a heat map within the abundance analysis tool where we specify our um, abundance table and can choose how that heat map is then generated. So that's really understanding the workflow in sort of detail, hopefully uh, not in too much detail, but also uh, looking at sort of uh, some of the results. Uh, I just want to give a quick overview and then I'll take questions. Um and so when we talk about the microbial genomics module, we really looked at one tiny facet, amplicon sequencing variants. But really, just to give you a sense that, you know, from a microbial community, uh, you know, understanding, again, soil, human, uh, water types of samples. Um, you know, we really can look at OTU clustering. That's one of the reasons why I compared it to uh a hybrid cat for viral panels, uh, functional or whole shotgun metagenomics is also supported. Um, and for that functional um profiling, there is a gene finding algorithms and ways of annotating those genes with you know best blast hits, PFAM domain information. And you'll see a lot of the same visualizations that we saw today with regards to, uh, you know, PCA plots, heat maps, Venn diagrams, which I didn't create today, but uh, should have, but ran out of time. Um, And then additionally, the microbial genomics module will also support more of the like sort of uh, pathogen outbreak where we're trying to classify, do taxonomic classification uh, understand like what MLST scheme is it most associated with, whether that be whole genome or complete or your seven housekeeping genes. Again, that's really more like outbreak tracing, looking for antimicrobial resistance. And the one thing here that I, I will point out is that we do have a really nice database that we have uh, we were able to curate through the permissions of like Agronaut and CARD, where we have like this integrated database where you have a lot of different um, sequences Uh, That will encompass a lot more than what you would find from any one uh, AMR database. And then just to even take it one more, you know, level uh, up, you know, today we use the genomics workbench. I know, again, we talked about amplicon sequencing variants. Now we can understand, hey, we can do more microbial genomics analysis. But, you know, really within this tool, the goal is to make things easy to use. So hopefully, you know, we saw through workflows today through the fact that everything's uh, wizard-driven. There were pipelines and workflows that were provided through different plugins, uh, easy to access help. Um, I didn't mention tutorials, but those are there as well. And we were able to create a bunch of different graphics pretty easily. And we can not only do this for that microbial stuff, but things like normal de novo assembly, single-cell RNA-seq, traditional bulk RNA-seq. A whole host of different resequencing types of plat- uh, analyses, like variant calling, uh, classical sequence analysis, uh, histone ChIP-seq. So, you know, again, you know, it goes a little bit higher than just microbial analysis that we can support. So, hopefully, with anything that you're doing research-wise, the application would really be able to benefit you um, from that. You know, analyzing your data, creating you know, publicly uh, publication-ready graphics. Uh, from like, you know, read mapping, you know, bar charts or different um, composition of microbials, microbes. Um, and then I'll end it with, you know, we can, of course, uh, within this application scale with you. You know, if you have an on-site uh, server, we can utilize that. Or uh, we do have functions for leveraging things like AWS. So those larger projects are easy to um, address within our our platform. Um, And then while I take questions, I like to leave a screenshot rather than just sort of a thank you and questions. So I will thank everyone for uh, attending. But again, I want to leave something that's a little more meaningful than just thank you. So I'll take uh, questions at this point in time. Uh,
1: Thanks, Sean, for the wonderful uh, presentation. So um, if you guys have any questions, please utilize the Q&A box to type those in and be happy to take them. I've also Uh, posted the uh, post-training survey uh, for you guys to fill out. We really appreciate your feedback in terms of, you know, whether you like, uh, what do you like about this training session? Um, How can we do better? Or if you have any ideas of uh, our future um, training topics. Um, So in terms of questions, uh, we do have a question in the Q&A. Are abundances normalized um, in a way, in any way for diversity analysis or um, bar plots, heat plots, visualizations?
0: Are you reading the question that's in there now? Yes, yes. Okay, all right, because you broke up a little bit, and I'm like, hang on, is this a different question? Um, so um, for uh, uh, heat plots or heat maps, uh, yes, there's normalization done. Uh, for the bar plots, I don't believe so. Those are going to be done on a count level. You can look at it as a relative count level, Um I don't know if the normalization method that we have for OTU clustering can be applied here. That's something that I would have to uh, just double check on. Um, but there is sort of a, um, a method that we can employ for like OTU clustering where I, I'm I'm fairly certain it can be utilized here.
1: Is there a way you can quickly show the attendees how they can get additional help? when it comes to like do we have any questions regarding parameters when they're working with the workbench
0: yep for sure um so things like creating a heat map if i was like oh well how is this done um i'm always going to click on that tool and then just simply click on help right and so here's like oh the following normalization and uh, uh, uh normalization is performed right and so here here's the normalization method that's going to be performed on that in order to create that heat map um so to get that information pretty quickly, you know, that's going to be accessible there. Um, But again, I, if we put in, if I'm, what I'm thinking of is um, under Amplicon-based normalization OTU by copy number, and I wonder, I mean, I can. I haven't tried this nor do i know um, if that's going to be uh something that is doable within sort of the uh asbs but there are you know specific normalization methods for uh like ot clustering for copy numbers and such i i, I would have to see if it, if it applies
1: uh, thanks sean so um, um during the um meeting feedback a lot of users said that they don't have that much experience with CLC, is there a way for them to uh, utilize tutorials to help them guide them through the application? So if they're new to 16S Amplicons, uh, like you do we have tutorials available for them to use to practice and um, get uh, better informed in terms of the, the pipeline and um, the analysis?
0: For sure. So easiest way is under help here. There is online tutorials. That's going to just bring you to our web Page where we have a list of all of the tutorials. Um, it is broken down into different groups, so you'll see the introduction. So I would just say if you were into microbial stuff, you know, scroll down to the section that's called microbial genomics analysis, and then uh, microbial genomics, and then here you can see a variety of different applications, OTU clustering, uh, functional analysis, uh, looking for AMR, um, taxonomic profiling for whole shop and metagenomics, um, MLST schemes, a whole uh, host of different uh, types of workflows or sorry, tutorials that are available on our website. Thanks.
1: Um, so I'm just gonna, we're gonna stay, um open just for a couple more seconds just to let those um, attendees uh, type in their last questions. Again, just utilize utilize the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen to type those questions in. Uh, We really appreciate uh, your feedback, so please um, also uh, fill out that um, post-training survey, um, as that kind of helps us guide in terms of what uh, topics to focus and how to improve um, our uh, training sessions. Uh, So thank you again, Sean, for the wonderful uh, presentation. Um, We really appreciate it of course